Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today's topic is six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives, part two. Uh, that's six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives. And actually, it's based on a short ebook uh, that you can pick up on our website. I want to encourage you to do it. It's uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And uh, so really, this is a cultural vision of the church and the fruit of really quite a few years of pondering. And because a healthy culture in your ministry, in your workplace, in your church is indispensable for the deep transformation of the people who are living there. And so there are, are six marks of this kind of a church culture. Last week, we dealt with the first, which was a slow down spirituality. Today, we're going to move into the second, which, which is called integrity in leadership. And that is, we don't pretend to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside. And uh, what a vast topic. In fact, I could really call the last 23 years of our work, what we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship today, really could come under the rubric of integrity. It's so large. So we'll do the best we can here uh, in the next 30 minutes or so and expound on this very, very vast topic. Because we as leaders, uh, we determine the level of integrity in a church or a ministry organization. We actually guard uh, the culture uh, of integrity. Now, there are levels of integrity. It really needs to be seen as a continuum. And to illustrate this, let me, let me just share my own journey in, in different phases around integrity. So in my early years uh, of leading prior to 1996, so we're talking about the first, you know, 15 or so years of my life, um, you know, I was, by you know, living hopefully pretty much what I was preaching, spending time with Jesus, doing my spiritual practices, faithful to Jerry and our four daughters, Jesus, I was planning our, our church here in the inner city of New York, and really seeking to live out my values of bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers, uh, living among the working class poor here. Actually, we made a choice to live in a certain neighborhood uh, at the time that had you know drug dealers, you know, prostitution, uh, and actually chose not to live in a comfortable suburb. Uh, and, uh, you know, you were probably looking at me on the outside and you'd say, oh, Pete, you, you have such high integrity. And, well, in some levels, yes, but no, because I had some gaps uh, in my integrity too. I didn't ask hard questions of people, uh, whether folks who worked for me when I would see things that were incongruent uh, didn't make sense. Uh, I wouldn't pursue it and go down the road because I didn't want to really get a bad answer. Uh, I didn't confront sometimes people who were very defensive or proud because I didn't want them to leave uh, my ministry and church that I was building. Uh, I didn't let people go that needed to be let go, even volunteers. Um, I saw, again, I think of inconsistency and leadership or things would come up in their own lives of, you know, I think one, one couple in particular, of, uh, you know, basically a family a scandal he'd been involved with years earlier. I didn't even want to pursue it because I needed him as a leader, uh, lacked integrity. I'd have sometimes pe people functioning in positions when I knew their lives were not in order uh, or marriage is not in order because, again, they were getting the job done. And I even in my own vision casting, uh, fundraising, I would exaggerate, uh, skim a bit on numbers. I'm a visionary. I can cast a vision with the best of them. But as many of you know, who do cast vision, you can easily cross a line and go into lying or exaggeration. And so what happens is in my early years, when that, that uh, lack of integrity in certain areas would trickle down. And again, we were growing numerically, planting churches, 
there was consistent crises, however, and there were elephants in the room that weren't being confronted. So, so yes, there was a level of integrity uh, that happened in my early 15, 17 years of leadership. But then in 1996 was that turning point for me where uh, I had what I call my second conversion into uh, emotional health and emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated. That's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And that was a Copernican revolution for me uh, and in my leadership and the church I was leading. It was a major step forward. Uh, and I made a commitment at that point uh, not to lie anymore. I mean, that was gigantic. And I remember on uh, a personal level and then bringing that into our culture was a Copernican really revolution because I, I, up to that point, I, I did lie to myself in a number of areas. I actually lied to others as well, and I realized I lied to God. So, for example, I lied to myself when that I, w I wouldn't even acknowledge what I was feeling uh, on the inside. Uh, I had all kinds of, you know, anger, sadness, depression, but I wasn't in touch with it. I want to go down that road, and so, and then even in my prayer life with God, I wasn't always honest. You know, I lied a lot even there, and uh, very unlike Job in the 35 chapters where he unleashes uh, his, you know, suicidal thoughts, anger, rage. And David, I think of David in the Psalms. Uh, I just wasn't honest, even in my prayer life with God, almost like if God didn't, as if God didn't know or it was going to upset God or something. And and then even with people, I, I, I there was a level of lying that went on in my life. I, again, I didn't do anger, so I gave the impression things were fine when they're not. Um, and so Jerry actually carried a lot of the anger in those early years. Um because I didn't want to go there. And so this was the first time in 1996 that I began to look at my family of origin, uh, began to move into some serious awareness of my inner life. It was very uncomfortable, painful, uh, but liberating. I began to you know, do work on grief and loss and how my past had impacted my present and a lot of things that many of you are familiar with in the Emotionally Healthy you know, Spirituality course. And I began to do self-confrontation. And I, I, I moved not just personally, but then I moved our culture into a greater level of integrity. Again, this is 1996 and began to talk with people who were in leadership, who were married about their marriage. That was their integrity in their marriage that they were at least giving the impression on the outside was it congruent what was happening actually behind closed doors. Same thing with single folks. And if folks were not living authentically, uh, I now had a conversation with them and confronted them in some cases, removed them um, out of leadership. Uh, relational um, wins became brokenness and vulnerability, being honest about that, versus impression management. Uh, if folks weren't teachable and were just being religious, I went after that. Uh, if folks were not the same person on stage in public as they were in private, I began to just, you know, talk with people about that. And uh, and again, I, I think that whole journey in, in 96 into emotionally healthy discipleship began to shift our goals of simply not just quantity and numbers, but into quality, uh, into our motives, into that we're not after power or approval or success of the world defines it and measures it, but after, you know, God has for us. That was a huge shift. And I began to seek to create an environment where people were encouraged to ask questions and give feedback and say no and set limits and began to do it myself and then for others. And again, I remember going into genograms in particular and families of origin and being living out what we call emotional healthy relationship skills was, was very significant. And I was now able to have hard conversations with people. And uh, I remember saying to, to one person, a gifted leader, who I just experienced as judgmental and difficult to be with and able to go to her and say, 
uh, again, I'm not a therapist, but just say, this is how I experience you, that when we're in this conversation and we're talking, I experience you as you know, judgmental uh, towards me and, and the larger ministry. Or uh, another fellow who was fasting a lot, but was quite uh, unteachable, having a hard conversation with him about that. And uh, another person with a, with a different vision uh, than where I felt God had given me for our church. And there was a lot of tension there. And I realized that needed to have a hard conversation about what is the vision? What is my vision? Uh, what is his vision? And it's okay that they're different. doesn't make neither one of us bad, but there are implications that we need to have an honest conversation about. So that was a, that was a really gigantic leap in terms of integrity and moving along that continuum. And then in uh, 2003, 2004, when we moved into what we call today contemplative spirituality, a slow down spirituality, uh, and I, Jerry and I had that four month sabbatical learning from you know monastics and uh, monasticism and, and silence and stillness and all that. It was another level of slow down spirituality, again, last week's topic, of being with Jesus out of which I do for Jesus. And that my inner life with God needs to be deep enough, deep enough to sustain my outer life for him. And, and that was significant on a personal level of my own integrity of slowing down enough to make sure that I was grounded enough in what I was preaching and teaching in Jesus to have integrity when I spoke it publicly. Uh, I actually moved away from trying to have clever illustrations and concern about even the structure of my sermons to much more about the quality of my inner life with, the, with whatever I was preaching. And I moved our staff, I remember, to a rule of life, uh, a monastic rule of life, that we would model as a leadership what we preach, and that we have integrity, that we're asking people to follow us as we follow Jesus. And uh, it was another level of integrity in terms of freedom from what people thought. I know for me, and I believe for our church as well, being clear about what had God given us to do and become. And then there was a, another level, a fourth, uh, I consider level of integrity, or if, I could, if you look at a continuum, in 2006, 2007, what I often call my fourth conversion, that actually culminated in the writing of the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, and I, where I began to apply a lot of the stuff I'd learned over the previous decades into uh, high-level organizational leadership. This is very challenging uh, integrity, and I realized I was I, that I had worked in my own iceberg, my own genogram, that I was the biggest deterrent to the church going to the next level of what God had for her, and there were elephants in the room that were actually inside of me. And and that, at that point, I began to talk with folks who, you know, have conversations that were, um, you know, difficult conversations. Like I think one person in their marriage was on our staff. And going down a road where I realized they may not make it. Regardless of the, I began to have conversations regardless of the consequences because I was concerned about the integrity of what we were living. Uh, and began to have very honest conversations on job performance where folks were not doing their jobs uh, or roles, again, volunteered or paid, and I began asking difficult questions. Uh, that's when I actually began to uh, steward the riches or wealth of our organization uh, and hiring and firing and strategic planning and making sure we had people with the right fit. It wasn't about corporate confronting people uh, and get the right people on the bus so we can grow this thing bigger. It was actually a matter of stewardship and being a good steward of what God had given us. And I remember being challenged by uh, a good mentor friend of, you know, when, I, when I'm doing an offering up there and inviting people to give their tithes and offerings to our church, they're trusting my integrity to manage that money well. And in 2006, 2007 was a real turning point for me, recognizing that I, as a lead pastor, I'm responsible 
uh, even as I delegate it out, of how we manage those resources that only a few people can actually be paid on a, on a church staff or a ministry staff. And that I was responsible to make sure that we were managing that money well, and these people were being managed well, and the right people were on staff. And uh, and I recognized up to that point, I did not take that, again, my level of integrity, I wasn't taking it that seriously. And I began to feel the weight of that, and it shifted me. So let me just define integrity for you for a moment before we go any further. So again, you get a sense of it's a continuum. It's not like I'm in or I'm out uh, of the basis. But but integrity is, is uh, we violate our integrity when we believe things, we're no longer living what we believe, that we ignore values we hold dearly, that, that there's a, a gap between what goes on inside of us and what's happening outside. Who we are on stage before other people is not who we are off stage when we're by ourselves. And when I'm often helping someone who's in a conflict uh, of their own integrity, I'll ask, what is your integrity calling you to do? Because what happens, it's easy to, to get a, a gap between our role as a leader, whatever your title might be, and your soul on the inside. And I realized how easy it is for me to be so concerned about my activity externally that I lose touch with my own soul. And there becomes a gap between my inner center, my values, my beliefs, my being, and the external life that I'm living. As you all know, it's easy, and I can speak from experience, to preach and teach things or write about things that I'm not living. To live congruently, to live consistent internally is difficult. And actually, what's so fascinating is the first crisis to hit the early church was a lack of integrity. It was the issue of pretending. Uh, and it's the story of Adonis and Sapphira. Uh, it, again, they, they, if you know the story in Acts chapter 5, it's amazing. The Holy Spirit's moving in power. Uh, people are giving away their funds freely. And Barnabas, a man named Barnabas, sells his field, gives all the money away. <clears throat> it's a real evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in their midst. Picture the scene. And then Adonis and Sapphira show up, and they uh, appear to do the same thing, sell their real estate and give all the money at the feet of the apostles. Uh, and But yet they keep back part of it. Uh, and they want to have the, give the impression that they're more sacrificially generous than they actually are. They're pretending to be something on the outside. They're not on the inside. Their exterior life's not matching their interior life. And what's incredible about this passage is, it's the first crisis in the early church is God's judgment falls on Ananias and Sapphira, and they drop dead on the spot. And great fear seizes the church. I mean, could you imagine such a thing? I mean, the immediate and drastic and harsh and severe judgment of God falls on them before everybody. And the early church does not suppress this story uh, in the midst of this description of this enormous movement of the Holy Spirit in Acts. Because could you imagine if the church allowed that kind of lying or pretending a lack of integrity to go on? Here they are, the new community of the Holy Spirit, the, the pillar and foundation of the truth, a sign of the world, of a possibility in Jesus and the spirit of what life it was meant by God to be. And that's the reason success and popularity is so dangerous. You start to actually believe people's projections and, and uh, you know, and God comes after it. So when we talk about integrity and leadership as a second quality of a, of a church culture that deeply changes lives, we are talking about something big. Uh, again, imagine if God did not intervene in the early church, Acts, 5's, Acts 5, the lies, the greed, the deceit. It would have been the death of the church. Because how do you build a community on lies or pretending? I mean, you can't. Uh, no one's going to get transformed. It's tragic. It's the death of a slow death of many churches and ministries. And that's why for for you and as a leader, and for me as a leader, we set the integrity of the organization or the ministry we lead. 
Because the degree to which we live in truth is the degree to which we're free, and everybody's free around us. Because leadership is a promise. Again, whether you're leading as a parent, or a business, or a politics, or a nonprofit, and of course, our primary audience here is church. Because uh, when I'm up there preaching, for example, you trust that I'm living what I'm preaching. You trust that Pete's praying, he's spending time with Jesus, that I'm not different on the outside of who I am on the inside. I'm not lying to myself or to you or to God. And that's why a breach of integrity and leadership is so devastating. I mean, it's devastating in the secular world, whether it's politics or sports um, or celebrities, uh, but especially in the church of the living God. So, so what, what that means, I'm just, it means minimally two things uh, that I've observed. The first is this, that you do your role uh, with, with seriousness. Uh, you, you do the job that you are saying that you're doing. So in other words, if you're a pastor of you know, a local church or you know, a youth pastor or associate pastor, whatever your job description is, the people you report to, you actually do it. Uh, and if you, you get involved in doing something else, you want to just adjust your job description. I say this because I've seen this so often over the years, and I can think of one conversation I had with a, a very well-known pastor years ago uh, who had a national ministry, traveling, writing. He was also pastoring a local church. And uh, I'd been invited in to speak, and I knew some of the folks on, on their staff. And it was a large church, but the, the staff were very disgruntled. Uh, people were not being pastored. Uh, there was a lot of unhealth there. And the church had an appearance of being something that they had, you know, great weekend services, but they appeared to be something they actually weren't. And I remember having multiple conversations uh, with this, you know, lead pastor, and and I, and I wasn't against him. I, I, I being, you know, traveling and writing, etc., in this wide ministry he had. It's just a problem is that he had a title and a role that he was actually leading and managing this organization and and stewarding it, uh, and. To me, integrity was either, you know, what's your, what's your priority calling in life? And if it is to be the chief shepherd of this flock of people, then that's your chief, that's your role. And that you have, that's your primary role and everything else is secondary versus the other way around. And I, I think I'd say whatever your role is that you actually do it. Now, if you want to make a switch with it, you just make sure that you go and you adjust that uh, with those in authority over you, but that you have integrity that what you're what you say you're doing, you're actually doing. And I know for myself over the years, uh, it was a season where I was doing some traveling and, and speaking, and I needed to get off of speaking and traveling because uh, for a season because I just needed to get my own house in order personally and in our church. And I think, I, I do believe our, our job descriptions and roles and priorities do need continual uh, adjustment. Of course, this always relates to limits. But the second is that you as a leader are responsible for the culture that God's given you responsibility for. Again, whether whether it's a, I, I care, I, it doesn't matter if you're leading a young adult group uh, at your church and you've got you know seven or eight uh, volunteer leaders under you, or you've got a large staff, uh, or you're over an administrative group, regardless, but you've got a culture that you're, you're monitoring. And that means that when things are lacking integrity, you actually, first, you're aware of it. You're spending the time, you slow down enough to see it. And secondly, you actually address it. There's a great story that uh, I want to share with you. It, co it comes out of Ed Friedman's work and, uh, and family systems theory. It's called uh, The Lamb and the Tiger. Uh, it's called actually The Tiger. And the story goes like this, and it's a great image of what I believe it means to guard the integrity of a culture that we're all working on. And uh, 
Once upon a time, the fable goes, there was a friendly forest, and there lived a lamb in this forest who loved to graze and frolic about. But one day, a, a tiger came into the forest, and he said to the animals, I'd like to live among you. And they were delighted, and, and but unlike some of the other forests, there were no other tigers in this woods. He was the first. The lamb was concerned because, obviously, tigers don't like lambs. But the leadership said, don't worry about it. We'll talk to the tiger and make sure he doesn't you know, mess up with you. So the lamb went about his life as usual, but it was, but, but he'd often find the tiger growling behind a bush and he'd frighten the lamb. And so the, the, the lamb went to the leadership and said, listen, I'm uncomfortable here in the forest. And, and then the leadership said, listen, don't worry about it. Uh, that's just the way lead, tigers are. He's not gonna touch you. And the, the lamb tried to get the tiger out of his mind, but couldn't because when, when he was least prepared, the tiger would, would show up and kind of give a little growl. So finally, the lamb couldn't take it anymore and decided, as much as she loved the forest and the people, that she went. She ended up saying, I, I got to leave the forest. But the leader said, no, no, we need you to stay here. This must be a misunderstanding. We can all sit down and communicate it. And then another, one of the other uh, animals in the forest said this, I never heard of anything so ridiculous. If you want a lamb and a tiger to live in the same forest, you don't try to make them communicate. You cage the bloody tiger. Now, it's a great story. Uh, what I like about the story is, it's the leadership's role to guard the, uh, a healthy culture. And there are times that people need to be caged in the community uh, and no amount of negotiation is gonna change the fact that leadership needs to be differentiated enough to actually step in uh, and protect the wider flock. And because leaders, we define the values of a culture and we limit people's power. You know, who gets power, who doesn't get power? And when we refuse to deal with issues that are in front of us, we actually hurt our communities and hurt the integrity of our communities. And uh, folks are not then that are hindered in growing into Christ likeness. So, how do we grow in integrity? Let me give you a few things here. Is you know, in our final you know ten minutes together, uh, I'm going to give you three things. Of how do we grow in integrity? Uh, the first is space. Uh, space be with God, to be with ourselves, so our, our true self and values and integrity can emerge. In other words, when I rush, I get anxious. So when I get anxious and I'm rushing, I end up lying or compromising my integrity. So I need to slow down. Uh, I need silence. I need time to let go of my role, my work life, to unplug so I can listen deeply to his great love and uh, him speaking to me. I, I want to be drawn by the spirit, not driven by inner compulsions. I want to be giving of myself to people and to projects, not taking uh, from them. I love, a, a, there's a great poem by May Sarton called Now I Become Myself. And I want to read you a couple of lines of the poem. It's such a beautiful poem. And she writes, now I become myself, she writes in this poem. It's taken time, many years and places. I've been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces, run madly, Hurry, you'll be dead before now to stand still, to be here, to feel my own weight and density in the single hour I live, all of myself and to not move. I, the pursued who madly ran, stand still, stand still, and stop the sun. That's a poem worth getting. Now I become myself. But I'm talking about slowing down to, to keep yourself centered and connected. And silence, daily offices, Sabbaths, longer sabbatical retreats. Uh, I, I don't know how I would survive without a minimal day, uh, a, a month alone with God, let alone longer sabbaticals. Uh, it's necessary for your own integrity and the integrity of your those you lead. The second is suffering. 
uh, if we're going to grow in integrity, we've got to be willing to suffer and do the hard work of suffering that comes with disciple, our own discipleship. Discipleship is hard work. It was Richard Rohr who said, there's always great suffering, suffering to come into true self. And we compromise our integrity for many reasons. In our family of origin, we've got, you know, family rules, for example, about, about conflict or making mistakes. And I've got to do that, that kind of inner work of breaking up the stuff from my past that hinders me going forward to present. Uh, if my self-esteem is weak and I want other people's approval, I've got to do the hard work to, to get free of that. I'm afraid of consequences. Uh you know, I, I got to get free from that and get people off my back. And I got to learn some skills on how do I speak the truth tactfully and respectfully and honestly and clearly. So there's there's a hard work of discipleship, which is just suffering involved to mature into a leader. That's why the hard things that come into your life and leadership, they're actually gifts very often because it's God's way of pruning, shaping uh, and maturing you. But there's the third thing we need besides space and time, you know, to be with God and be with ourselves. We, and besides doing the hard work of discipleship for ourselves, we also need some safe community. We need some people around us who love us enough and who are mature enough to ask us difficult questions, to love us enough to help us hear the truth, that don't have an agenda for us, but don't want to fix us or save us, but they love us enough to create a safe spot where we can come out and be clean. I'm talking about mentors, coaches, counselors, you know, other pastors, teachers, but you want to be seeking out. We all need those kinds of folks in our journey along the way. So here's a couple of key questions, you know, to ask yourself, you know, are two key questions that come up a lot around integrity. The first is this, Pete, I'm in an organization or a ministry where people above me are lacking integrity. This actually came. This actually came to me just last week from someone, and again, this depends, of course, on the gravity of the situation. Uh, which you know, assuming it's not the you know gravity of a you know national scandal or like uh, abuse, you know, such a gravity of abuse and power. But I'm talking to a person above you. You can see some gaps in their integrity. Now, of course, you got to wrestle with this. God called me here, etc. But I would say that's the norm that people are going to lack integrity around you. Uh, on certain levels, especially as you grow on your own, if you're not the point leader. Uh, and so I would see yourself and I, myself as we're like Daniel in the book of Daniel. We we appeal uh, to those in authority over us as appropriate, uh, like he did with not eating the food that was contaminated in Daniel chapter one. But most importantly, you want to grow in your own integrity in your sphere of influence, the culture that you're immediately shaping and receive the fact that God's put you in that wider culture to be a gift. Uh, not necessarily a prophet or prophetess, but to be a gift with the power that God's given you and the freedom. And I can just assure you that that very it, cream always rises to the top. It's just a matter of when. Uh, and you'll have to seek guidance of how that works out practically. Again, it depends on each situation. And the second question often comes up is, what do I do? I'm not, I'm not sure my own integrity is at a, case, in a place where I can even lead. Am, uh, am I even emotionally healthy enough to lead? And that, you know, that's the extreme of getting crippled by shame. Uh, so one extreme is I don't care about my integrity. I'm not monitoring it closely enough. That's one extreme. The other extreme is I'm crippled by the fact of everything I'm not uh, and the whole issue of perfectionism. And let me just remind you of, of, of you know, David. Uh, I, I would say as long as you're working on your stuff, you can lead. You're honest, you're vulnerable, you're open about it, especially depending on the gravity of it with those in authority over you and appropriately with those you're leading. Uh, but I think of David in Psalm 51. I mean, 
uh, you know, he was this great shepherd, warrior, leader, king, politician, worship leader. At a certain point, he stopped growing. Sin intrudes in his life on a scale of really Adam and Eve's sin. I mean, in terms of the second probably largest catastrophic sin of him murdering Uriah and committing adultery with Bathsheba over a year. Uh, imagine murder and adultery, goes through a, a funeral, uh, a year passes, he's still worshiping, reading the Bible in the temple, but he's broken all integrity with himself, every, with God, with everybody around him. God sends Nathan, uh, he gets confronted, uh, but David responds. And he blows up his life, uh, but yet he models repentance here. And the great news is, no matter how much you blow up your life, God can put it together and you can be a gift. And so, listen, let's, let's not get perfectionistic about it, but as long as you're getting help, so for example, you're struggling with pornography, you get help from a ministry like Pure Desire. You're struggling in your marriage, you get some help with a therapist, you know, in spiritual direction. Your life's out of control, you get yourself a mentor. But the most loving, you know the most loving thing you can do to those you serve is to invest in yourself. So that's always my criteria is, are you getting the help you need? And you put the time, energy, and money into doing that. Why? Not just for your own integrity, but for the integrity of the culture that you're shaping around you. Uh, so, again, if we're going to develop deeply transformed people uh, for the sake of Christ and multiply disciples and leaders, we've got to create a healthy culture. It's going to require a slow down, leader, a slow down spirituality. That was last week. It's also going to require integrity in leadership. Uh, and that's us. And, uh, but this is a long-term journey. Uh, we have to recognize we have a need for change. Uh, we need a different paradigm. We've got we to gotta engage in some training here. We've got to navigate the consequences of that. Uh, this is a large multi-year process. So uh, let me invite you again to go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org. Download that little ebook, uh, uh, Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. Download that book and, and go to the website, search around, you know, look at, learn about the courses and explore what's going on there. And let me close with just three questions for you to, to consider as we end this podcast. And how would you complete the following sentences? Some of the ways that our culture indirectly affirms pretense and subtly encourages impression management are some of the ways our culture affirms transparency and encourages people to live out of vulnerability and brokenness are. And then in what aspects of your life or leadership are you most tempted to skim on truth? That is, be less honest about your struggles or deny negative emotions or pretend to be more or better than you are. You can find those questions on that ebook uh, on our website. So thank you, everybody. It's been so good to be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. And I look forward to being with you next week for part three uh, of Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives. God bless you. Have a great day, everybody.